Again, as we have been talking about the last couple of weeks, and again this morning, the Bible, we began um, talking about our, our attitude towards it. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 119, the very beginning of that, or the actually the second stanza of that. We talked about the fact that we should learn it, we should share it, and we should rejoice in its results um, and its effects. And then the next week we talked about that we need to continue in it and gave you several reasons why. Because it leads to salvation, because it comes from God, and it prepares us to serve. And so we've talked about the shoulds, here's what you should do, and the why, here's why you should do that. And if you're like me, shoulds and whys sometimes work, but shoulds and whys often don't work. Why do shoulds and whys often not work? Talk to me. Why is that? Because we're selfish. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, this is very clear. God is very clear. We should be in His Word on a regular basis. You can't get too far. Old New Testament, the testimony is clear. You should be in God's Word. And there are really, really good reasons why you should be in, in God's Word. In addition to what we've talked about, and I'm going to send an email out this week. Um, I kind of want to do that in here, but it seemed too academic. Uh, I want to talk about why we can trust the canon, why we can trust this text. So I'll send out something this week uh, in the weekly email that goes through that. Um, so there are good reasons why and good reasons why we should be in this text, but ultimately it comes down to the fact that we're selfish, and so sometimes this doesn't get the priority that it should. We choose other things, just to be quite honest. We'd, we'd rather do something else than sometimes the hard work of being in this text. Uh, sometimes the hard work of, of figuring out what it says, because sometimes it is difficult. We just got finished going through Zechariah and Adult Sunday School class, and in my opinion, it's one of the most difficult books in the Bible. There's tons of it I don't get, uh, but nonetheless, God's Word says that it is profitable, right? That it is useful, um, that it benefits me by doing that. Um, and so what do we do? We've got these shoulds, we've got these whys, and we're selfish, so what do we do? What's the answer? We just need to pull up our bootstraps and, and try harder, right? Is that, what do we do? What's the answer to that? Cry out to God. Yeah, we do. We cry out to God. And that's what, after 32 verses of the psalmist talking about how wonderful God's Word is, I think he comes to a point in 33 where he realizes, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm like everybody else I know. No matter how many good words I say about God's Word... No matter that I believe these truths that I've been recounting for the last 32 verses, I'm in need. And so he prays, and he asks God, and he, he really, he, it's a prayer for three things. And again, we're going to go through these, so I'm going to write all these down now. It's a prayer to understand God's Word, because we're limited, even though we're made in God's image, which we'll talk about next week as we get to the statement of man. It's a prayer to live God's Word, because even if I understand it, even if I know the right things to do, there are times that I'm still selfish 
and I'm going to go my own way and forget you, God. This is much more enjoyable or more fun or more peace-giving. At least I think it is. And finally, it's a prayer to live in grace. Even in the Old Testament, they didn't know necessarily about Jesus and all that business, but they knew they needed God to be graceful. They knew that. They knew themselves well enough. The psalmist knew himself. He knew God's standards. And so he knew, I need grace. We're the beneficiaries of that living on this side of the cross. We go, and we have it. And that's good news for us. So let's begin this morning, verse 33 and 34. The psalmist writes, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall observe it to the end. Give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. Father, I pray that you'd use these words to strengthen our souls, to encourage us, to nourish us, and to remind us that we need you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Again, as we said earlier, every verse is a request. And then after the request, there's a, a statement. So it begins, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. It's not just give me knowledge. It's I need to know the way of your statutes. And then there's a parallel line in verse 34, give me understanding. It's not just facts that the psalmist needs. He needs to understand God's word and the way that it goes. Why do you say don't lie? Why do you say don't steal? Why do you say don't commit adultery? Why do you say don't covet? And, and what does that do for me anyway? I, mean, I think it's better in this case if I lie. Right? It keeps me out of trouble. I think it's better in this case if I'll just steal a little because I, I need it. Why is it important? And so there's this prayer for understanding God's Word and it's not just the rules, not just, but it's the why. It is ultimately our response to what God has done in our relationships to God and to one another. Right? That's what we need. That's what we need. I can give you all kind of rules, but we need, how does it affect me? How does it affect my relationship? We talked about this a little bit last week. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4 because Paul does a great job of fleshing this out. Ephesians chapter 4, if you'll flip over there just briefly. Because what Paul does is not just give them, here's the command. He talks about what we should do, and then he talks about why, what it does for us. So, for example, in chapter 4, verse 25, he says, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, in other words, don't lie. But it's not just enough not to lie, there's more to it than that. God wants us to be like Him. Speak truth, each one, with his neighbor. Okay, so instead of lies coming out of my mouth, truth does. But what does that get me? Sometimes that might get me a knuckle sandwich, right? Sometimes that might get me the loss of a relationship if I tell the truth, right? But why? He says, for we are members of one another. What does he mean by that? Well, he's using the analogy of the body. Let's think about the body for a second. There are some horrible diseases. And the reason they're horrible is, is because they, part of the body no longer communicates correctly with another part of the body. From Alzheimer's to ALS, part of the body refuses to communicate correctly. In one sense, it lies. It sends false signals. 
And we think that's tragic, that's sad, it's horrible. It's this insidious disease that we wish we could get rid of. Why? Because the body is no longer whole. Our body's lying to itself and it causes, it damages relationships far beyond just my body. And Paul says, that's what it's like when you lie to one another. The reason that we speak truth to one another is because we are a body. And we need to speak truth to one another so that we're all functioning and going in the right direction. And that's what the psalmist is talking about. I need to understand your ways, not just your rules and regulations. Why? Well, because we're a body. Verse 29, another one that Paul says from chapter 4. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Okay, that makes sense. It's a rule. But, you know, sometimes you really tick me off and I'm going to say something I shouldn't say. Maybe because it makes me feel better short term. Right? But he says, no, don't do that. But only such a word as is good for edification. So what you're saying, Paul, is the only thing that should come out of my mouth is something that makes the other person that builds them up. Well, that seems like I get the short end of the stick, doesn't it? But then he tells, he tells us why. So that it will give grace to those who hear. See, Paul understands at our deepest core, you and I both need grace. The world's going to beat us up. The world's going to demand things from us. The world's going to tell us how to live, what to do. You and I need grace because we mess up all the time. I'm going to offend you. You're going to offend me. And if, if my stance is I'm going to protect my rights and I'm going to get you for getting me, right, then there is no edification. We're never pointed to the cross. But if Jesus did that, there wouldn't have been a cross. Right? Paul says in Philippians that he left heaven and took on the form of man. <clears throat> And he asks us in that same passage based on what Christ has done to not look out for our own interests, but look out for the interests of others. So regardless of whether you offend me, can I give you grace? Because Paul knows that we need that. That's, that's the way of that commandment. The reason we don't speak unwholesomely to one another is because we need grace. Constantly. Every day, we need to be reminded that we are loved children of God and He desires for us to walk in a way that brings glory to Him and shows Him, reveals Him to the rest of the world. We're made in His image. We're to be His ambassadors. And so we don't speak unwholesome words because we need grace. It's just our makeup. It's the way we are. And so the psalmist knows that and he says, God, I need, teach me your way. Give me understanding. Help me figure out it's not just this rule, but there's a good reason for this rule, this commandment. So that I will observe it to the end, he says, so I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. That's what he's after. Second thing he prays is that he would live in God's Word. Verses 35 through 38. Make me walk in the paths of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to dishonest gain. 
Turn away my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. Establish your word to your servant is that which produces reverence for you. It's not just that he wants to understand, he wants his behavior changed. He wants his behavior changed. What's odd though, he says, make me walk in the path of your commandments for I delight in it. Now, I don't know about you, but when I delight in something, I like to do that, right? No one ever has to make me eat dessert. I don't think that's ever happened. Would you eat this? Okay. I have to. I delight in dessert. It tastes good. Jennifer Logan made a, a, a pumpkin pie last night that was still warm, and it was really, really good and You know, no one had to force that on me. I delight in it. So why, if he delights in it, does he ask God to make him walk in the path of his commandments? Why do we have to do that? Well, he tells us, verse 36, his heart needs to be inclined because he tends to go after dishonest gain or unjust gain, or it could also be translated selfish gain. Literally, the word is just gain, but in this word in the Old Testament, it's always a negative context. And depending upon who it is and what it's talking about, it could be uh, unjust because I have power and you don't, and I'm going to take what you have. Or it could just be I'm going to get something because I'm selfish. So you could translate that unjust gain or selfish gain or power-hungry gain, depending upon the context. It's, It's gain at your expense for me. And we incline towards that. We incline towards um, selfishness in life. And, and that word is not necessarily just monetary gain. It could be other things too. It could be relational gain, right? You know what? I'm selfish. This relationship is too hard, so I'm going to go try to find one that's easier. I'm going to hang out with people that... that I like to hang out with versus those relationships that are sometimes hard and awkward and difficult. So I'm going to be selfish and go after something else. God knows that we're like that, whether it's money or relationships or possessions, we're selfish. And so he cries out, he asks, he pleads, God, make me walk in your statutes. Even though I delight in them, I know it's the right thing to do, but I'm selfish. I'm going to go my own way. There's something else that is attracting me beside your beauty. I've lost track of what's right. Verse 37, turn away my eyes from looking at vanity or from looking at what has no purpose. We are at the core foolish. We chase stuff that's irrelevant. We chase stuff that has no purpose. Make me walk in the path of your commandments because I'm foolish, God. I'm going to run after something that doesn't have any purpose, has no meaning, doesn't get me anywhere. And he knows that. Help, God, help. (laughs) Show me the right way. Remind me and make me walk in it. That's a scary prayer. Because... Because God, as the shepherd of the wandering sheep, will sometimes go after the wandering sheep. And what do you do when the sheep keeps wandering to keep it from wandering? You know what you do when the sheep keeps wandering to keep it from wandering in the ancient Near East? 
You break its leg. You put it in a position where it won't wander anymore and get it used to the flock again. This is where you belong. It's a scary prayer. God, make me walk in your commandments. Sometimes it's necessary. You know your heart. God, put me in a position where I can't do that anymore. That's what Jesus says. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Because if you don't, because God loves you and He wants you to walk with Him, sometimes He will. We're foolish. We want a shortcut. That's what Adam and Eve did. They were foolish. You can be like God. Oh, sweet. Versus walking with God day after day and learning slowly correct wisdom in His ways. It was a temptation to Jesus by Satan. Bow down to me and I'll give it all to you. The shortcut. Because otherwise Jesus has to go to the cross to become King and Lord of all. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Satan said, you know what? You can have it now before the cross. It's the shortcut. That's what sin is. It's always a shortcut to something that we want or that God promises us in the future. We say, but I want that now. So what's the solution? Well, we live according to His Word. Verse 38, establish your word to your servant. Establish it, make it firm, make it part of who I am. Again, that request as that which produces reverence for you. I need to pray that God would move me to live by His Word. That I would honor Him. So we pray that we would understand God's Word. We pray that we would live God's Word. Finally, we pray that we would live in grace. Turn away my reproach, which I dread, for your ordinances are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me through your righteousness. That word reproach can either be reproach from another person, kind of a taunt, uh, which Israel faced a lot from their enemies. Um, But it can also be condemnation for guilt. I think in the context of this psalm, that's what it's talking about. Turn away the guilt that I rightly deserve for being selfish, for being foolish, for not following your word. Why? For your ordinances are good. I I know your way is right. I, I know that. What's he doing? He's asking for grace. Does he deserve grace? He's broken God's law. He's been selfish. He's been foolish. And he asks for grace. Turn away my reproach. Take away the guilt. That's a bold statement. One that you and I are privileged to be able to do whenever we want to because of what Christ did on the cross. Approach the throne of grace with confidence, the writer of Hebrews says. Will we do that? Will we do that? He knows he can't do it. Verse 40. 
Notice he switched it for the first time. He switches the order. In every other verse, it's been the request and then the statement. And in verse 40, he turns it around. We should pay attention to that. Why does he do that? Behold, I long for your precepts. There's this final call before the request. It's this final call of, God, it's true. I really do long. It's almost like he wants to end that section there. And then there's this realization in his head, no matter how much I long for your precepts, God, let me live, or the NAS says, revive me in your righteousness. Let me live in your righteousness. It's a request. No matter how much I long for it, I'm going to fail. I need you to let me live in your righteousness. And ask, it's a request for grace. It's like the man that Jesus met when he came down the mountain of transfiguration. He had a son who was demon-possessed, threw him in the fire. If you can, can you heal him? If I can, all things are possible to those who believe. And, and what did the guy said? I believe. And then he knew that wasn't right. <laughs> Help my unbelief. That's what the psalmist is praying. That's a good model for us. But I know you've changed my heart through Christ. I believe, but I know that it falls short. I need you to do something in me. Revive me through your righteousness. He can't do it, so he has to ask. We can't do it. We need to ask. This word is valuable for us for all things and we struggle because we're foolish and because we're selfish and so my my charge to you my challenge to you is that you would pray god give me a love for your word help me understand your word and then go a step further god make me walk according to your word again it's a a hard prayer to pray but one that's necessary And we'll talk about why that's necessary in the coming weeks as we talk about our third statement of faith, of man. We need His grace. And we need His Word, and those two things go together. A statement that I think we would do well to, to hold on to. Grace as found in God's Word, both the Old and the New Testaments, calls us away from the incessant idols of ourselves. That's why we need to be in God's Word. We are continually building idols of our wants, our desires, our dreams, our very self. And spending time in community, in God's Word, calls us away from that. Grace calls us away from that. We challenged you last week to spend time on a regular basis in God's Word. Challenged the young people in here to spend time on a regular basis in community, in God's Word. The high school girls took me up on that and are going to begin meeting once a week together um, to do that. Adult, rest of you, guys, back row back there. If you are not in some form or fashion in community, in God's Word, you need to be. I don't, there's no other way for me to say that. You need to be. And if you're not, and you're willing to desire that and pray about that, then call me. We can work something out. Because you need to be. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. You can't escape 
God calling us into community to be in His Word. It's just not possible. You can explain it away. You can rationalize. You can give all the excuses that you want to. But from beginning to end, we're called to be in community in God's Word together. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word and the truth that is in it. God, I thank You for Your blessings and the hope that You give us through Your Word and the grace that is abundantly revealed to us. And we praise You for Your Son who loved us and died for us. We praise You for the gift of Your Spirit who indwells us and empowers us to do the things that You've called us to do. May we as a people be obedient to Your calling. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.